Sport has the power to change the world. It has the power to inspire. It has the power to unite people in a way that little else does. It speaks to youth in a language they understand. Sport can create hope, where once there was only despair. It is more powerful than governments in breaking down racial barriers. It laughs in the face of all types of discrimination. The heroes standing with me are examples of this power. They are valiant, not only in the playing field, but also in the community, both local and internationally. They are champions, and they deserve the world's recognition. Hi all, I'm Nicole David, former world number one professional squash player, and that was a snippet from Nelson Mandela's iconic speech at the 2000 Laureus World Sports Awards in Monaco. And today, you are listening to Seek to Speak, a podcast that aims to empower expression, spark speeches, and instigate ideas. Seek to Speak. everyone, welcome to season 2 of 6 to Speak. I'm Aisa and I have an incredible guest for today's episode. She is considered the greatest squash player in the world and of all time and is basically the gold standard for sportsmanship and athleticism in Malaysia is the one and only Datuk Nicole and David. She needs no introduction, but it's still amazing to see what she has achieved, so I'm going to do it anyway. She is an eight times world champion, a nine times Asian champion, and a record of 108 consecutive months as world number one. She's an incredible source of pride and inspiration to all Malaysians, and she's also a United Nations Development Program Goodwill Ambassador and was the youngest person in Penang to be honored with the Darja Setia Pankwan Negeri Award, and is also the recipient of the prestigious order of merit an award bestowed upon her for her significant contributions in the arts sciences and the humanities and most recently she was named the world's games greatest athlete of all time i can't believe i have her here today welcome to the show how are you feeling good good thanks so much for having me here isa <laughs> so nice to meet you thanks so much for being here nice to meet <laughs> you too so we're gonna go into segment one which is a guest guide mm-hmm. this is where we'll guide our listeners to your journey behind being a professional athlete as well as a sports advocate. So you start playing squash at the tender age of five when your dad fashioned you a DIY (laughs) record by shortening its handle, right? Since then, you love the sport and at 15, you won your first world title and then later left to Amsterdam to go Mm -hmm. pro. But how did you know that squash was something you were meant to do? Was it passion that drove your excellence in the sports or was your excellence that drove your love for the sport? It was actually both, I guess. When I, but it started with passion. I loved the game from the very beginning when I started hitting that ball with my DIY racket. And it was absolutely <laughs> amazing to have that feeling where you just want to keep playing it. You want to wake up in the morning and you just want to get on court. And, and my sisters were there too. So it was a lot of fun playing with them and also seeing how good they were. I want to aspire to be like them. So it was, it was just passion and love for the game that actually drove me to see how far I can go. So when I was training with them, I wanted to improve, get better. And I saw myself getting like 
stronger, faster, and even getting closer to my sister. So those were like signs that <laughs> I am improving. It's very, it's motivating me to see how, um, how far I can push myself in. And before you know it, I was winning tournaments locally, internationally, and, and then it's just everything was just spiraling fast. And I got to win my first world junior title, um, and, and, and an Asian title at 14, a senior, a senior Asian title. So all those things kind of made a little spark in my head that if I can do this, uh, in this level, whatnot in future when I, as a pro or become a world champion one day. So that's how that, that drove me to get even more on my performance to, to, to just reach for the skies. Oh, and the skies and the stars and the moon did you reach? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Outside. Yeah. Outside. <laughs> I love how you said that those were little signals and sparks. It was small mm. milestones that made you even yes. more passionate. What advice would you give to aspiring athletes or anyone actually when they mm-hmm. want to take that leap of faith despite fear despite things that go in the way just because they want to pursue mm-hmm. their passion because I would think that your parents were not happy when you said hey mom and dad I'm <laughs> gonna go to Amsterdam now <laughs> it, it wasn't easy I think they, they knew I had uh, the potential and they and I was actually fortunate to get funding from the sports government like in Malaysia to just actually give me that funds to play professionally overseas and base myself uh, abroad and my parents my my dad was a former athlete himself but at the time it wasn't fully recognized as a career move so he went to study in Australia and so with this opportunity my parents so why not give it a go if anything happens you can always fall back to your studies later so I was like thanks so much for your blessings and then I went off but it was for them as, as parents they they had to take the hit too like with people coming up to them like why do you leave your let your daughter go not studying before having a degree they should <laughs> you know all those the 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 idea that if you don't have a degree you're not going to go far so they believed in me they and they supported me all the way so so they didn't they didn't hold me back uh even though it was their youngest daughter going abroad on her own oh, it's, it's, a, it's a baby <laughs> in the but, family yeah, but I think the most important thing is that you have a great, if you have a great support group, it always helps. But <clears throat> I think all of us have this gut feeling in our, in ourselves that we don't fully listen to when we are passionate about something that always takes stronghold to push forward. And if you, if you feel like that really fits right or sits right in your, in your gut, then go for it. Give yourself a chance to try it out. Um, and if it doesn't work well, it, uh, obviously you have some failures along the way. There's a barriers that will come in the path, but, but if that, that fire is still burning that you really want to make this happen for yourself, just make it count, work hard for it, fight, you'll find opportunities you, but you have to create those opportunities as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you created your own opportunities mm. when you couldn't carry <laughs> yeah. the record and you're like, yeah, yeah. Dad, can you yeah. <laughs> make it happen? And I like exactly. what you say about support system. Sometimes it's having a good support mm. system to know that even yeah. if you fail, what's the worst? You can just mm. go back to study, right? Which is what your parents say. Yes. 
So it's not, exactly. not necessarily a bad thing. Not the end of the world. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> In your interview with Buru, you said that consistency is actually a result of all the things that you did. It's a fruit of your labor, which is a misconception that people get. The real secret to your success is actually improvement. You were consistent with your wins because you continuously improved yourself. And you famously said that being number one is something you had to earn every day. As an advocate for the strongest mindset, what are the some of the ways that we should persevere and motivate yourself to constantly improve? Because that's not easy, right? Yeah, it's I think this like we like you just mentioned, like I really I've see found that people saw the consistency as something that it was just there and but how do you do it? And it's really the result. But the focus that I put my mind into when I was up at the top uh, for so long is working on improving myself in every fine detail and and not seeing too big a picture of, oh, I'm going to be nine years at number one. I, I never even dreamt of that or I never even thought of that actually existing or happening to me. But I took it in small steps or in small goals. And every year I had a plan with my coach. We reviewed goals and I always encourage people to make their own goals every year or a long-term goal. But with that, you make plans. You have to set a plan on how you're going to reach those end goal at the end of the day with small little goals to, to improve. Those are the improving parts that you can refine, get better. And before you know it, you reach those milestones and then you, you are naturally improving without even thinking of the, the final result. So I, I always go into competitions working towards performances and not the results because I've I've fallen into the trap of like, okay, this mm. tournament I have to win this tournament this this <laughs> this whole tournament, but I haven't even thought of the first round or the the next opponent I'm playing, and those are my those are my learning uh, steps that I had to take because I, it didn't work. I had to turn my mind around to focus on those those small steps are in front of me that I can work towards and then it, it then you just move forward without even thinking about it. Yeah, you're right. Micro goals are so important. Mm. Sometimes you get so bogged down or overwhelmed by thinking about, oh, what if I yes. do this? What if this happens? This happens? This happens? Yeah. Just taking one step at a time is really important. <laughs> and I think what, what you said was really true. Like your opponents are always changing. So that's mm -hmm. why you never rest. You're always improving yourself. Yes. But, I would imagine that sometimes you do face setbacks. Like how mm -hmm. do you deal with like failure and loss? So let's say you have a micro goal um, and then you did not do well in the first round. How do you pick yourself up in that moment for the second round? Well, it's, I, I hated losing, <laughs> obviously. And, but <laughs> I, I learned how to learn from losses and those were the, the best learning experiences I had to go through. Um, because then my coach and I will actually run through the whole match and then we find all the, the spots that went, went wrong or, or what was, what, what was I thinking at the time? Whether those doubts came into my mind and I'm only human. We are all, we all have doubts that go into our head, whether this is going to happen or not. But how do you minimize those pressures? How you minimize the negativity that changes your thought process so so i i worked with a sports psychologist most of my my whole life and at different phases of my career i had to learn different ways of minimizing those negativity minimizing the pressures and not just 
I, uh, not just me that can do that. I think everybody has that in them to practice those, turning those negative things around to a positive and, and working towards, um, understanding that it's okay to falter, but learn from those mistakes, learn from those failures and, and then you get stronger. You let you build that sense of understanding that you can put those extra new tools in to improve, to get better and to face anything that comes along. Yeah, I, I, it's actually incredible to hear that after every match, you actually go through the details with a fine tooth yeah. comb because not a lot of people yes. do that. <laughs> like, not a lot of people like to face their mistakes and face their failures and confront mm-hmm. them. And you do that for every game. Is, is, would that be correct? Yes. Yes. Basically, because when you're at the top, like everybody is wanting to beat you. And when they, when they actually do find that way to beat you, you find the, the little small holes that probably you can uh, fill up and be prepared for the next match that if I face that opponent again, how, if that comes along in my mind or whether it technically or how I approach the, the match, if it's a little, if that, those little signs come mm. in, how to turn it round, you know, and that's how you learn because if you don't experience the, the loss, you don't know how to, to get better. Yeah. So those are the big things that I always do with my coach and a lot of, um, athletes do that too. They review what they have done and, and then to just get stronger each each competition and each match. That's amazing to hear because it's so painful <laughs> to a lot of people to go through their losses. Mm. And I think if Ah, oh, it's not easy. Yeah, to it's rewatch <laughs> again. And like yeah. if someone like you, you know, can rewatch it. And I think do you think it takes humility <laughs> as well to be humble with accepting your mistakes? Is that something that you've learned as well? Yes, um, it it's the hardest thing to hear that you know you have done mistakes, and I still find it hard to be told or to hear it um, in different things, not just in sports, uh, in squash. And but I I feel like you learn you learn and you slowly take it in. Maybe it's hard at a time, but I think listening to others is very a big big place to to improve our, ourselves and to self-growth I think that's self-growth because mm. we we are so used to seeing our own perspective but when you hear it from the outside and it's an honest truth <laughs> it's hard to swallow yeah. <laughs> at times but but in reality if that makes you better then why not you know listen to others and and by then you actually build a strong like another way of strengthening your mind in that sense too in yourself yeah that's true i can hear from you that it's not just about your physical strength it seems that a lot of this is also mental strength. oh yeah do you think our athletes are not just physically strong they're mentally strong as well yeah, they have to have the both. I think my coach always says that it's uh, squash is eighty percent mental and twenty percent physical. And if you eighty percent, yeah. And if you and if you are playing at such a high intensity and being at a certain level that you are all everyone is just as good. They are the same. They are just as fast, just as strong, just as talented as you are. But what makes the difference is your mind at that very moment in the same space as your opponent, whose mind is stronger at that last, at that very end of the points, at those crucial moments that you need to win those 
points that matter and who has that edge against the other. So it's always like a little up and down, but, but at the end, it boils down to who's mentally and physically and mentally ready to take on the battle. So. Yeah, and sometimes it's a difference <clears throat> of so little, you know, like sprinting is just like yes. seconds or milliseconds. Would yes. you say, like, or when you're getting in a great game, right, do you see the audience or do you like everything is tuned out and all you see is your opponent? What is Datuk Nicole David in the zoo? <laughs> How does that look like? We always think that when we train, it's just physical and we have to work all these uh, movements and strength muscles and everything. And But it, the mind needs training too. So before a competition, I have um, like visualizations that I do two or three weeks before. So going through the whole process or the the whole like game plan that I have set. And then I'll, I'll also simulate those, those competition play with different players that I will train with. So how I'm going to warm up, how I'm going to get ready. And then I go into a, a simulation match play, they call it. And I'll do that for the two weeks before, like three times in a week to just have an idea of how, what are you going to feel like when you're in a, a real competition in a, a new venue or a new place. So all these things are just putting into practice. And the, once I'm in that court, in the competition mode, in this show court and the, the crowd is there, I I always take it in. But when I'm in the court, it's a, a different ball game. I, I have a, like a button that I switch on and switch off. And when I switch off, I just focus on, okay, I have a game plan. I've already practiced this. So if I go in there, everything is going to makes sense it will just go as a flow and when i'm in a real flow and i'm in the zone i really can't remember anything i just see everything slow motion everything's like a blur i'm moving like fast but it feels slow you know i'm seeing everything a little quicker and and i i have so much time and the moment i finish that match and it's over i i want this perfect match in my mind but I actually it was happening re- in reality so that those are the fe- that's the one of the best feelings being in that zone and not feeling that anything will get in your way because you've practiced it in your mind you your body is ready and and then it comes comes together which is quite quite special oh wow that's like <laughs> Sherlock's level like uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and you don't hear the crowd and it nothing nothing phases you it's just sort of like you're in there you your mind is ready and and your everything is all more alert and more like like right in right there like you say the ball's bigger and yeah it's awesome wow <laughs> that's that's really interesting to hear it's like yeah in the now like you don't yes. think about anything else but your mo- yeah. body is just moving in sync and I really yeah. like that you talked about visualization because mm-hmm. I think we can learn a lot from sports because yes. the mental ability re- it requires to perform at your best is something that you can replicate in any in any be it speech your job having to yeah. visualize yourself doing well simulating those instances is really great advice that anyone can have, even if you're not an athlete. And thank exactly. you so much for sharing that. 
Speaking about sports and self-growth, because the Nicole David Foundation actually aims to create, fund, and support programs that improve the lives of disadvantaged children by providing them with the knowledge and confidence to choose and determine their life's path. You believe that introducing sports to children can help inculcate good virtues and for young girls especially to build confidence. Can mm-hmm. you tell us a bit about how sports has helped you with your confidence and discipline growing up as a young girl in Penang with lots of energy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I think sport was the key thing that helped me develop all these fundamental values. Uh, my my parents were adamant to the fact that if it wasn't for sport, I wouldn't be a, a good student. I learned so many <laughs> skills from being disciplined in my sport, how to time manage what I what I could study and what what time I had left and I wasn't lay parking anyway <laughs> as you say um, but at, at the same time I knew how to focus really well when it came to studying I had that one hour if I put my mind into reading what I needed to read and my focus attention was much better so sport gave me all these tools from a very young age to to learn how to Put this in and apply that into other things, and I've, I re- I'm very adamant to the, to what sport can offer to young children at a young age. And if you can, and with this foundation, I'm bringing both girls and boys to to come together to actually play together and be amongst each other to learn how to respect, uh, how to be more inclusive in their future and. At the same time, just be good people and just knowing how to, to compete with each other, how to be, how to use competition as a good thing, not as something that is, mm. that is going to be a negative thing. And then you are going to have, uh, them understanding what, what it takes to, to be better human beings. <laughs> That's what my, my main goal. And also keeping healthy, learning new healthy habits and, and that they they can use sport in so many so many ways. Yeah, you're so right because the things that you said, like learning how to focus, having good mental strength, uh, time management. Yeah. these are all things that you don't mm-hmm. teach in other subjects. No, it's like social no. skills that you learn through practicing a sport, loving it, keeping to this discipline that people take for granted. I really think, like you said, physical education has so little traction in Malaysia and I think it should totally change because I actually wanted to talk about what you said just now, being like in a community, um, knowing that competition Mm -hmm. can be healthy, anybody from different backgrounds can come together. Do you think sports also has the power not just to develop yourself but also like for community building or even change the world? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I believe that sport can change the world. I mean, but I, I know that for a fact that, um, if we can encourage more sports or more active, uh, activity uh, amongst our community and, and have it more accessible, I, I believe that through this pandemic, people are more self, like aware and, and conscious about how sport and being active really can make a difference in, in our daily lives. And, and we can create that community to support one another. Each one of us have a place to support each other, to encourage uh, one another, to do something and to help each other, to motivate each other to work out. And it's not easy to do it on by yourself. So I hope that in future, the more communities that want to encourage more healthy living and a better lifestyle, the better. 
Oh, that's so true. Because you're right, sports, uh, even in individual sports, you work as a team, you know, with your coach, with your mm-hmm. peers. Yes. It teaches you teamwork. And and it with sports, it doesn't matter who you are, whether or not you're a girl or a different race. It's your talent. It's your merit. If you have talent, everything else doesn't matter. You're absolutely right. You know, when you yes. when you won the World Games Greatest Athlete of All Time title, I mean, the whole of Malaysia was abuzz with pride. I mean, even the international... Oh, thank you. Yeah, exactly. I was like, wow. I mean, am I even surprised? I'm not because you're just so incredible. Even um, the International World Games Association President, Jose Perurena, said, Nicole David is an inspirational athlete and a fine role model for younger athletes. And he's right. You're a tremendously great role model and example for local athletes in Malaysia but all athletes all around the world who look up to you (laughs) but how does that responsibility feel like and because I, I would imagine that it feels heavy and what are some of the principles you live by when you're trying to set a good example well in the beginning when everything was happening at a young age I always felt that when I was more number one and being uh, a Malaysian carrying the, the flag for the country I always felt that there was yeah that responsibility to be something else or to be something better and it wasn't I I learned very fast that um what I what I achieve is because of who I am and people uh, respect me the way I am that way and they, they are inspired or they aspire to be like that in some ways too so at the end it wasn't I didn't take that responsibility co- like as a like something that is heavy duty I just took it as something that is a blessing and and I will make the most of who I am and if I'm true to myself, I don't think anything else matters. So, so that, that I always carry that with me. If I keep to my main core beliefs, what I, I truly am, I not change anything for anyone that, and I hope people feel the same way to not try to be something else. And a lot of things in social mm-hmm. media and uh, everywhere around us, we feel like we have to be something else. And I even felt that way, but I, I think through my experience and learning that if you are good, a good person, stay true to yourself and be good to someone else, be good to others, everything will come back the right way for you. Yeah, just, just stay true. And what I like about you is that you're so authentic. I mean, I've, I've literally, I probably saw all of your interviews before this to prep for this one and in everyone, you're so present and you're just so polite and it's so incredible to have somebody achieve that much, but still not only want to give back to the community, but also see this as like a blessing and a privilege. It's so great. Um, maybe you could tell me a little bit of your role models when you were growing up and how impactful they were to you. Well, growing up, my role models would be my parents, of course. They, they set a very great example uh, for my sisters and I to actually be good examples, like a good, being good, good parents. Uh, they, they gave a lot of love and care, uh, f- to us and they supported us in every, every sense of the way. They didn't have it. They didn't pressure us to be amazing athletes or amazing students. They just knew that if they didn't pressure us to be great or do anything, um, 
amazing, then we will do it ourselves. And that's what we learned so much on the the humility that they also get um presented like being grateful to others that are around them and and they and my mom always tells me when I was growing up that if you while you're playing it's not a matter of whether you win or lose is as long as you are a good person that's the most important thing and I think that really stayed in me till now and and also, so they they were my true role models growing up, and my sisters too. They they were always very very um good in their studies and in their in their sports, and I wanted to be like them. And and at the same time, they were always looking out for me, having their younger sister traveling with them, Aww. looking after <laughs> me at tournaments. And they had to we went we were in the same team in the. Malaysian team and also the Penang State team. So we were always traveling together. But I think with squash, we really bonded so well through that. And, but I, that's why I truly am, um, uh, admire them in all that they do. And, and that's why they were my role models growing up too. So nice. So a lot of people mistaken that role models should be someone that you aspire to be, should be somebody like someone you see in 20 years or like somebody in the field. But sometimes it can be your greatest support system, people around you that help you. And it really, I can see that it really grounds you because um, unlike other athletes, you are a real person outside the court. Meaning like you are not just your scores, you are an incredible and kind person even outside of the game. And and that's really nice because that's what you go back to, right? After the game? Yes. This is the real Yeah, game. I mean, on, on court, you have to be this strong, like, but like on the outside to just have something that nothing can break through, but... Literally outside of the court, I'm a real softie. So, <laughs> so I know two different people. Yeah, but all good. Actually, it's like it's almost like an alter yeah, ego. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you so so much for sharing your journey. I think you continue to inspire people. There was a lot of really good mental tips there that I think our girls as well can take to heart. So now we're moving on to segment two, which is deep discussion. This is where we do a deep dive on issues relevant and applicable to our guest experience and expertise. So let's look at some data on mental health as well as women in sports. So... According to a 2020 study by Stanford University and Strava, 22.5% of professional athletes reported feeling down or depressed and or more than half of the days of the week compared to 3.9% of athletes before the pandemic hit. That's an increase of 477%. The American National Collegiate Athletic Association examined the impacts of the pandemic on 25,000 college athletes and found that there were elevated rates of anxiety, hopelessness, mental exhaustion, and feelings of depression across the board why do you think the pandemic is hitting athletes very hard it's i think for athletes they train for something they always train for a competition mm. they are their whole training program is based on where they're going to peak to perform and i think it's so difficult to not know when they are going to compete again it's uh, very heartbreaking to not have the Olympic Games yeah. last year and a lot of athletes that build up four years towards that had to now wait for a whole year to get back. But 
I think athletes will go through a rut, but I I believe that they come out stronger because they know that they are going to face a lot of barriers, that a lot of things are going to come in their way, and and being athletes, they try to break down all those barriers in some mm. ways. But I do hope that more athletes will talk about it. Because we sometimes yeah. a lot of them feel like you know you feel like you're being soft if you if you are struggling mentally and every athlete has to be tough and nothing gets through them. But I I think yeah. <laughs> in the in this process of the pandemic, a lot of athletes has come out and say like you know it's the most important thing is to talk about it. It's not bad or it's nothing wrong with saying that you're not okay and. So I think a lot of athletes are talking more about their mental health and how it has infected them. And I, I'm sure through this phase, they are going to come out even stronger and better and be more open to talking about not feeling good. And and I think that's what we need uh, more so than ever. Not not just athletes, but everybody. Um, and if athletes can be those role models to talk about it, then more people will follow suit. Yeah, that's true. We should normalize that conversation, right? And you brought up a really good point about how athletes, you know, like people who do normal nine to five jobs, they're tr- proving their worth every day. But for athletes, you're training four years, like you said, for one moment. And if that one moment is taken away from you, it's then like what, you know? having to restart. Yeah. What are some of the ways that you do or that you can recommend to athletes to continue to stay motivated indoors? Like to gain, to, to maintain that momentum? Well, I think for them is to not always thinking too far ahead with their plannings, maybe to work within their own space. Like if I'm training, even though they are used to having plans, it, they have to break that a little and, and maybe work towards something else, like how, how their training program, what areas they want to work on. Maybe take this time mm. to really break down the things that could, could be the best time to work on that may take longer instead of when it's competition. Everything, everything gets a little short sighted. So this, I, rush, right? Yeah. So I, I believe that maybe in this time, maybe athletes can have more, t- more planning in what they want to improve or what they want to tackle that has been on the list, but never quite there. So <laughs> to, and, and yeah, and t- talking more about mental health, maybe they can work with people or speaking about more about their, what they're going through and how to, how to handle their, their steps for, for the next, the next phase of their competition or training phase. And that, and by that, they can get that encouragement and confidence to keep going for forward and something to to work towards yeah you're absolutely right because mm. there's always never enough time right when you're catching the olympics yeah. or catching but now now you have the time so the next thing that we want to tackle is women in sports so here are a couple of facts apparently elite women's sports are predicted to generate 1 billion usd in revenue in 2021 a nielsen study found that 84 percent of general sports enthusiasts are actually interested in women's sports for example the 2019 fifa world cup drew 1.2 billion viewers while the u.s women's open Tennis final got like 2.1 million viewers. Do you think women in sports are finally getting the recognition they deserve? I, I believe so. I think it takes time um, to get to that the numbers that you mentioned. Uh, and and I fully agree that, you know, the women the women's sports industry uh, in different fields are growing in their own pace. 
I I think as long as we continue to bring their authenticity forward, like how great these women athletes are, and try to support that in every way through each sporting sporting association, like World Sporting Association, to come together to make that happen for for women's sports. I I think that will be the best step forward in in terms of getting that. Recognition mm-hmm. and even squash, we are getting yeah. now um, more equal prize money and more attention to the women's game, and we are having more viewership for the women's game too because now the depth of the women's tour is really closing, and they are very competitive and yeah. pushing each other. And a lot of people actually comment that they love watching the women's squash matches because it relates to people or the crowd because they can see the tactics they can see how fit and strong that these women are working to create those movements those plays in the court so it's it's very exciting to hear and i i hope for the best in every sport around the world in all different uh, avenues that the women's women's sports are going to get more attention in in future that's so true. You were talking about strength as now, and you're absolutely right. When I was looking at your videos and photos, what really <laughs> strike me because women are always seen as like soft and like subservient, mm-hmm. but on the court, you are on fire. The amount of strength. <laughs> The speed in which you move is just incredible, and it just really helps debunk this idea that um, women are less than or less capable of and. Even you said that now we're getting more and more equal prizes. So that's great because you do you do deserve it. Did you have troubles, let's say like 20 years in the past? Did you see there was a bigger disparity back in the day? Yeah, there was when I was starting off in the pro tour and I was, um, we were actually two separate bodies, the Women's Squash Association and the Men's Professional Tour, which is a PSA. Um, and so basically we had to work together but with two separate bodies so at at competition sometimes there will be more attention on the men um having more court like those show courts the glass court as you see on tv and then the women come in only like the later stages so so those things were happening and in in the process uh when i was going up the rankings and then and then being at world number one um i had to also play a role in actually making a point to stand stand firm on certain competitions like you know we need more time we need to be sure that there is a women's tournament as well happening <laughs> it's not just the men yeah. so so those things were addressed and in i think in the last 5 years they yeah. they merged as one body and now we finally realized that we needed both men and women to grow a sport and you can't just grow squash with just the men and you can't grow squash with just the women it has to be one body and that's how it's getting a lot more coverage it's getting all the attention to to push for equal price money and because we are working as one now so it's yeah. it's a it's a great step and uh, i'm i'm happy but it need, definitely has a lot of work to be done still but no doubt we're get, definitely getting there wow i didn't i didn't even know it was separate until um, you yeah. said that and, and now it's now it's a, a combined one body yeah you're absolutely right in that sometimes you you first of all need to demand. I mean, like say, yeah, we need time too. Yes. And sometimes it's not even about making men the enemy. Sometimes it's just about working together. You're absolutely right. Because especially when 
you know stronger together kita jaga kita <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> In the beginning, of course, we don't know if we are also going to be on the side. But mm. when we were in one one umbrella, it made made a huge sense that we are going to work together and 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 make it happen. Then I I was not so skeptical. <laughs> yeah, and it also normalized the idea of having women athletes around. I think it also helped yeah. the male athletes see how much strong or how strong women athletes are, especially also. Yes. So, Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. <laughs> so next, we are at segment three, which is radical roleplay. This is where we provide okay. guests with imagined scenarios where they would have to use their communication skills to resolve. So today, we have some sports <laughs> for you. And actually, it's not really okay. imagined because half of it is real. <laughs> and I'm sure you've been in okay. this situation before. So are you ready, Nicole? Yes. All right, so scenario one. So Colombia is one of your favorite places to visit and has been described as your mm-hmm. second base with the last title you won being for the, I hope I pronounced this right, Ciudad de Florida Blanca Open <laughs> in Colombia. <laughs> so pretend you're back in Colombia before the government imposed a lockdown. Imagine that you're training a group of young girls to play squash and they're about to go into the match of their lives. Imagine mm-hmm. a typical sports movie moment. We should have a movie for you, <laughs> by the way, where the coach comes in to raise spirits and empower them to be their best self. What is your pep talk that you give them right before the big game? Uh, well, okay, so I will... Bajin, I'm oh, just kidding. <laughs> no. Yeah, no. Pretend, pretend I'm them. I'm like, oh, I'm so scared. Um, I'm so scared. No, I, I would like to actually, like, I would start by saying, like, you know, all of you here, how you're feeling today? I hope you all are enjoying yourself so far. Um, anyone nervous? Like, put your hands up, and they'll be like, yay! <laughs> it's okay to be nervous because that's why because you're here. You're here to play, and you you already train your hardest. You work really hard to get where you are. So being nervous is a good thing. Turn that around and make make use of that energy to to push you forward and you do great because when you're nervous you, you want it bad really badly and you want it more than your opponent out there so use that and make it count um, i'm sure you'll be amazing out there just have fun most importantly is to just go in and have fun out there so i hope you all can just have a good smile on your face when you go out and just, just and i'm rooting for you from outside oh. Okay, okay, that's you, coach. I'm gonna win now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No problems now. Oh yeah. <laughs> I love that. Even though it's competitive, you end it with a have fun because sometimes it's so important yeah. to remember that. You know, just the the satisfaction of a job well done. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I always we've I always was brought up to have fun, and I think, and I and I brought it even into my professional career and everything had you have to go in with that aspect of having fun enjoying yourself because if it's not fun or enjoyable then you know what's sometimes what's the point if you are pushing yourself or struggling so that fun aspect have to be have to come in from the root and from a young age because you you want to make them keep pushing themselves and enjoy it as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Should You should go back to your passion. 
Speaking about women, so let's go to scenario two. So you're in charge of the Youth and Sports Select Committee advising the government about the initiatives to be implemented for the Women's Athlete Program in 2021. You're probably already in charge of this, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Under Budget 2021, the government has allocated 55 million ringgit to existing sports development, including the Women's Athlete Development Program. This is actually real. So you're excited yeah, yeah. to spearhead this initiative. I can't wait to help develop the female sports scene in Malaysia. So how would you spend this money? I think they got 8 million. And what campaigns would you run to encourage more girls in sports? I think the campaign um, would be to focus on just what women, what are their real powers, you know, like and bring all those character traits out and let all the women out there to identify those things. And when they can identify with that campaign and have those stories to be told, any woman, not just women athletes, but we have a mix of the both the women athletes and our women that love to play sport or be active, have that group to share their story, follow that those values and then and then people can relate to them. And I hope with the funds we have to put it into schools to mm-hmm. make a point that so um we have more people that are working with every school to bring that message forward to break the stigma of girls not g- girls can play sport you can't you don't need to fit into a, a box or you have to be strong to play sport so i think how we can educate the teachers uh, in school and how we can bring in better like be, be teachers to help encourage that fun aspect for girls to play sport uh, in schools i think that schools are the first thing that we have to tap on before we move in other directions actually you're really right because not everybody <laughs> can go to a certain sports stadium or to a certain yeah, place it starts, with, sc- it starts yeah. with school and like that's where every that's where all the kids can access sports and if existing mm-hmm. schools don't have the right facilities and the teachers are not trained enough to spot good female athletes and encourage them then those things won't get to go anywhere you know so that's a really good point exactly and sometimes we forget to go back to the basics to go back to the foundation right of schools thank you so yeah. so much i really hope okay <laughs> i hope the government of malaysia is listening to this <laughs> later <laughs> improve sports in school please get our girls to not just the strong and fit girls but other girls who may not fit the mold you're absolutely right thank you so so much all right so at the end of every session I always ask my guests, why do you seek to speak? And seek to speak just doesn't have to be why you speak on sports. It could be like, why do you express yourself the way that you do or why you even do the things that you do? So this is the question that I'm going to ask you now. Dato Nikon, why do you seek to speak? I seek to speak because we all have a voice and we all have what it takes to express ourselves in whatever we do, whether it's what we're feeling or what we want to tell someone, we have to speak up and make our voice something that matters. Oh, so, 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 so,